The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. First Peter chapter 4. This morning we're going to be looking at verses 12 and 13 together. We have been in um, the book of First Peter now for, I I'm, I'm, don't know, maybe a year or so. Um, we've been in this extended section of uh, Peter's teaching on suffering. The, the theme of the letter, if you had to sort of boil it down to one main thing, um, we, it is that we are, are suffering sojourners. This isn't our home. We're, we're uh, sojourners here. We're foreigners here. We're aliens and in this life, it, it will be marked with suffering. And we've, we've been, as, as Peter has um, sort of alluded to that suffering throughout the letter, really, um, you know, starting midway through chapter 3, he begins to deal pretty explicitly with the sufferings um, that we will have as, as we live for Christ in um, a world that hates him. Uh, just by way of, of reminder of where these churches are. This is a real letter written to real people in real churches at a real point in history. And um, written to churches in what is now modern day Turkey. What was then under the, the rule and the reign of the Roman Empire. Um, under the, the rule of an emperor named Nero. Who set fire to Rome, burned it down, and needed a scapegoat and chose believers to be those who he blamed for the fire that ravaged Rome. And in doing so, brought about a state-sponsored persecutions of Christians unlike the world has ever seen or has ever known. And so these are, these are believers in these churches who, depending on, on where you date things, who are either right at the beginning of, of Nero's persecution or will shortly begin, but nonetheless were, were ostracized and were uh, persecuted just in Roman life and in, in life in general. And so Peter's writing them, um, encouraging them in their their suffering, and that is certainly where we find ourselves in chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, as, as Peter moves towards the close of his, of his letter. So, if I were to boil these two verses down to one sentence this morning that will serve as our outline, then this is it. So, if you take notes, you can write this down. This will be our, our uh, guide as we work through the the text together this morning. Here it is. We are called to live with expectation for the examination with adoration. We are called as believers of the Lord Jesus Christ to live with expectation for the examination with adoration. Here's what Peter says, 1 Peter 4, starting in verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. 
but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Live with expectation for the examination with adoration. First we see Peter's command here to live with an expectation in this life. Peter says it this way, beloved, beloved. He, these, these are brothers and sisters and we are brothers and sisters who are beloved by God. We are loved by him and they are, they are loved by the apostle Peter. And this is, this is a, a loving admonition to them for their life. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. Peter's admonition here is that we not be surprised at our suffering. Uh, we preach from the English Standard Version. I like the way the King James Version puts this verse. It says, think it not strange. Think it not strange. Don't be surprised. Think it not strange at or, or when these fiery trials come upon you. We've talked about this regularly as we've moved through this letter, but I know that it bears repeating. And the reason why I know it bears repeating is because Peter repeats it. Suffering is the common experience for all believers. Like if there's been one constant refrain for the last six or seven months, this has been it. That, that a life of suffering for righteousness sake is the common experience for believers. We will all at one time or another to one degree or another, suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. Now that suffering for us will look different than that suffering did for them. They literally had their lives on the line um, as Peter was writing this letter. We may not, we may not, but there are things that following Jesus Christ should cost us at some point and to some degree. Suffering is the common experience for believers. But here's what that means for us by way of encouragement. Because I, this is what Peter's wanting to do. Peter's writing this letter to these believers to encourage them in their suffering. And so when we say that, that suffering is the common experience for believers and that this, is, this, this should be understood as the right expectation of our life, right? So we can hear that and we can walk away from here and go, well, that really kind of stinks. But there is encouragement, for me at least, there is encouragement in this reality that suffering is the common experience for believers and therefore we should live with an expectation of it. And here's how I'm encouraged by that. I'm encouraged by that to know that I am not called to suffer in a way that another has not suffered. Like that's encouraging to me. 
Sometimes we may feel like we're the only ones going through what we're going through. But church, that simply is not true. If suffering is the common experience, and if suffering is what we're called to expect, then we have to realize that we've not been called to suffer in a way that others have not suffered before us. It may be different circumstances. Um, It may be different levels. And our suffering may not look the same within our own local congregation. But what God calls us to in suffering for righteousness sake is the same thing that he's called the church to since the very beginning. And there are others who have suffered in the same ways that we have suffered. And because of that, we should refuse to be surprised when suffering comes. Instead, we're called to live with an expectation that it will come. And when it comes, we can know that what is happening to us is not abnormal. Instead, it is the normative Christian experience. See, there's a lot of preachers, a lot of churches, a lot of books that will write that suffering is abnormal. That if you suffer, it's because there's something wrong. If you suffer, it's because there's unconfessed or unrepented sin in your life. Or if you suffer, it's because you lack faith. Or if you suffer for any, any number of reasons. The reality is, is that suffering as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is not abnormal. It is normal. To live a life wholly devoid of suffering, is abnormal. That's, what, that's not what God calls us to. So, because we aren't called in a way to suffer in a way that other believers have not suffered, that should lead us to two things by way of, of encouragement. The first is, is that we can look at the example of those who came before us and suffered well. Right? If, if suffering is the normative Christian experience, and if I've not been called to suffer in a way that others have not before me been called to suffer, then I should be able to look at those who came before me and their faithful suffering, and from that receive encouragement. This is what the writer of Hebrews tells us to do in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. He or she writes, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so uh, great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What are we called to do? We're called to... To look at those who came before us, this great cloud of witnesses, and from them see the example that they set, and from their example see that they cast aside sin and they ran with endurance, this this race of faith, this life. Now, if life was not difficult, then why would endurance be necessary? The fact that endurance is necessary is because life is difficult. And so Peter says, or the writer of Hebrews says, look at this great cloud of witnesses. Now, if we read Hebrews 12.1, and you just take it out, then we're left going, who are these cloud of witnesses? 
Is this my great-grandmama? Well, the great cloud of witnesses are what are, are listed in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is, is you know, the great heroes of our faith. This is the hall of fame of faith. You have in Hebrews chapter 11 people like Abel and Enoch and Abraham and Sarah and Moses. These are great people of faith, hall of fame of, of faith. But do you know what this is a list of in Hebrews 11? Yes, it's a list of those who had great faith, but it's also a list of those who suffered greatly. Every one of them suffered for the sake of God. The very first one listed is Abel, who brought a more acceptable sacrifice to the Lord by faith and lost his life because of it. Abraham, ready to retire, called out of his homeland to a land he doesn't even know with his wife, made crazy promises. You don't think that Abraham, as he traveled, was suffering? You don't think it was suffering when finally he's given a son and called to take him up onto a mountain and sacrifice him? It was a life of suffering. You don't think Moses lived a life of suffering? Absolutely. These are people who suffered, yet in their suffering remained people of faith. And we are called now as people of faith to look at those who came before us, who suffered well, who kept the faith, who finished the race. The second thing that it means to me is that we are called and should be an example to those around us and those who will come after us in how to suffer well. If we're not called to suffer in a way that is any different than our children will be called or our grandchildren will be called, then we have a responsibility to be an example for them in suffering well for Jesus' sake. To leave an example for them to follow. We hear talks all the time. I do. Maybe, maybe you don't, but I live in the church world. Of leaving a legacy. A lasting legacy. And normally, what that's code for is... In a, in a lot of ways, if we're just really honest, it's code for money. We'll leave, we leave a legacy, a legacy of faith in our giving to the church or in our inheritance. The Bible says that it's a good thing to leave an inheritance to your children's children. But one of the best legacies that we can leave for our children and for our grandchildren is an example of suffering well for the sake of Jesus Christ. To suffer and to not lose faith. To suffer and to not lose hope. To suffer and to not go into despair. To suffer and to not be surprised when the fiery trial comes. The reality is that the gospel is offensive to a world that does not believe it. 
And so when we live as people of the gospel, when we live lives that are, are ordered around, driven by, informed by the gospel, then as the world sees that, they don't get it, they don't understand it, it's foreign to them, it's crazy to them, and because of that, suffering comes. Because we're people of the gospel. And we should not be surprised. Think it not strange, Peter says. Live with an expectation for the examination. For the examination. Peter says it this way. A fiery trial. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. Now, what is this fiery trial? A fiery trial is suffering for righteousness' sake. It is suffering for the sake of Jesus. A fiery trial is not suffering because of our sin. As a matter of fact, next week, as we look at the next verses to the, to the close of chapter 4, you're going to see that there's a big difference in suffering for sin and suffering for righteousness' sake. A fiery trial is suffering for righteousness' sake. It's to choose righteousness over unrighteousness, knowing that when we choose righteousness, we're going to suffer for it. That is a fiery trial. Throughout the Bible, you see this language of a fiery trial or a furnace of testing. And that's exactly what it is. It is an examination. Peter says so. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. To test you. There is a testing that comes through our suffering. Here's what that means. It means that God uses our suffering for righteousness' sakes as a means of testing. Psalm 66.10 For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. How is silver tried? Silver is tried in the furnace. That God tests us with trials, fiery trials. Proverbs 17, 3, the crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold and the Lord tests hearts. The Lord tests hearts. Listen, this is fundamental theology and doctrine in the understanding of suffering. Our suffering is a tool in the hand of a sovereign God. And if so, it should not be something that we seek to avoid at all costs. God uses our sufferings as a means of testing. Well, what does that mean? That God uses our suffering as a means of testing? And why does God use our suffering as a means of testing. Now, first, I do think that it is very important to note 
that there is a difference between tempting and testing. We can say God tests us. He uses suffering and fiery trials to test us. We cannot say that God tempts us because God tempts no one. Please don't believe me. Let's read James 1, 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. So where does this temptation come from? Verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. God never under any circumstances ever tempts us to sin. But God does use our sufferings as a means of testing. So what's the difference between temptation and testing? Well, as I thought about that this week, I came down to at least one main difference. And that difference is motive. Because tempting someone comes from a desire to harm them. But testing someone comes from a desire to develop them. God never desires to harm us. God never desires for us to enter into sin. He never desires for us to choose sin over him. What God does desire is to develop us, to mature us. And in doing so, we're examined. We're examined. We get that. That's that's the life we live in education, right? A, A test comes for what purpose? To develop the student To make sure that they know what they're supposed to know. You know, you know if you never had a test in school, you'd have never studied. You know it. I know it. I had tests and still didn't study. They're there to develop us. And God uses our suffering for righteousness sake to test us. Now what does that mean? Well, first, it means that God uses our suffering as a means of personal refining. Give you some scripture references here, Job 23.10. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. This is Job speaking of God, a man tested unlike any before yet in it understanding that God was using the testing in his life to refine him, to develop him, so that when he comes out of the furnace of suffering, he would be more refined. Romans 5, 3 and 5, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul says we rejoice in our suffering because we know that in our suffering, God is using it to develop in us characteristics and traits that are Christ-like that we could never develop 
outside of the furnace of fiery trials. God uses sufferings as a mean of personal refining. He uses suffering to build our faith in him. 2 Timothy 3, 10 and 11. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying, look, you followed my life. You know what I've gone through. You've known the sufferings for righteousness sake that I've gone through. You know what I've endured for the sake of the gospel, for the name of Jesus Christ. You know it, and I know it, and I know God saw me through and was faithful, and you know God saw me through and was faithful. So Paul's suffering served in his life to build his faith in God, his dependence on God. And then he, as an example in suffering for righteousness sake, builds our faith in God. That's what God does in our suffering. 2 Corinthians 1.10, he delivered us from such deadly peril and he will deliver us. I love it. He has delivered us from peril. He has delivered us from danger. He has delivered us from suffering. And He will deliver us again. And because of that, on Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. God proves Himself faithful in our suffering. And in that, He uses our suffering to build our faith and our dependence in Him. God uses our sufferings as a means of personal refining. That's what it means to be tested. That's the first thing. The second thing is, is that God uses suffering to not only refine our faith, but to reveal our faith. Suffering for Christ's sake is a means in the hand of God to purify His church. Suffering for Christ's sake reveals those who are true believers and those who are not. Suffering for Christ's sake serves as the winnowing fork that separates the wheat from the chaff. And those who endure, those who keep the faith, those whose dependence on God is firm and set are revealed as real believers. And those who fall away because of suffering are not. This is the test. This is illustrated and is the point in Jesus' parable of the souls found in Matthew 11. Jesus says that same day, Jesus went out. Did I say Matthew 11? I meant Matthew 13. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea and great crowds gathered around him. So much so that he got into a boat and he sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables. And he said, A sower went out to sow. 
And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up. And since they had no depth of soil, soil, that's hard for me to say. When the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. And other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And other seeds fell on the good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Jesus gives this parable of a sower who goes out to sow his seed in the dirt. (laughs) And that seed is the gospel. And the dirt represents those who receive it. And it says some seem to receive the gospel. But thorns grow up and choke them out. Some seem to receive the gospel. And there seems to be, at least on the surface, growth, but no root. And when the fiery trial of the sun comes out, scorches them. They're gone. They don't last. But then there are some where it falls in the good dirt. And their yield is multiplied in the kingdom of God. This is Jesus' illustration that those who are real believers in the Lord Jesus Christ will last to the end. And these fiery trials are the sun that comes out in an attempt to scorch what God has done. And those who are genuine believers will last. And those who aren't will fall away. Suffering for righteousness' sake is a means in the hand of God for the purity of His church to reveal those who are true believers and those who are not. It both refines us and it reveals us. That's what suffering does. And do not be surprised when suffering comes. Do not be surprised. We are called to live with expectation for the examination with adoration. Peter says it this way, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Peter says, don't be surprised. Instead, rejoice in your suffering. Now, why in the world would anybody rejoice in suffering? Yes, it cost me my job. Yeah, it cost me my house. Yes, it cost me my life. Praise the Lord. Why in the world would anybody rejoice in suffering? The reason that Paul gives us is because we can know that in suffering for Christ's sake, we join with the suffering of Christ. When we suffer for Christ, 
we join in the suffering of Christ. This is a difficult verse for a couple of reasons. One is Peter's command to rejoice because we will rejoice, which is just weird. And then the other is this this word here, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering. This word for share is um, a form of the word koinonia in the Greek, which is most readily understood as fellowship, as fellowship. Here's what Peter's saying. We can rejoice in our suffering because we know that when we suffer for Christ, we are entered into a fellowship with Christ's suffering. Now, what does that mean? And I'll be honest with you. I, I struggled to, to get a real good grasp on exactly what that means. And here's the reality, church. The reality is it is perfectly fine to come to, to, come to God's Word and to struggle. Right? So if you come to God's Word and you struggle, welcome to the club. I'm educated beyond my intelligence. And I still struggle. I know what it doesn't mean. It does not mean that we join with the sufferings of Christ in a redemptive way. Meaning that Christ's sufferings weren't enough. And therefore we have to join with Christ's sufferings to complete his sufferings. Now hopefully that sounds absolutely insane to you because it should. But there are some who believe that. It does not mean that. Christ's sufferings were enough. They were enough. They were sufficient enough to pay for every sin of every person who has ever lived. Now that also does not mean that Christ's suffering paid for every sin of every person who ever lived. Because if it did, then we're universalists and we believe everybody receives the forgiveness of sins. No. Only those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. But his suffering was enough to cover the sins of every person who ever puts their faith in him as their Savior. If you've not put your faith in Jesus Christ, your sins are not forgiven. But there is a suffering, there is a sacrifice that was great enough to cover your sins. Put your faith in Jesus and have them covered. This joining in him, this fellowship in him, in his suffering is not in a redemptive way. His suffering was enough. This joining with him, this sharing with him, this fellowshipping with him is in a spiritual way. It's it's a level of communion with Christ that cannot be experienced outside of suffering. And I think the reason why it's hard to understand and to grasp is because it's hard to understand and to grasp unless you've suffered for Christ's sake. 
But when you have, you understand that it's in those moments, it's in those seasons, it's in those times where the sufferings of Christ are especially sweet to you. And there's a dependence and there's a faith that's growing and there's a sharing and there's a fellowship. There's a communion with Christ that's especially present in our sufferings with him that aren't present when we aren't suffering for him. In a spiritual way, we join with him. And in our joining with him, God uses our suffering to make us more like him. And that's the whole point of life, to be more like him. To be more like him. At the end of the day, it all comes down to Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus Christ. All of our life is about Jesus especially our suffering for Jesus' sake. Jesus said it this way in John 15. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, Therefore, the world hates you. The world hated me. I chose you. The world's going to hate you. When the world hates you, you share in my sufferings. Because the world hated me. Right? This is encouraging to me. This is encouraging to me to know that when I suffer for righteousness sake, I'm not suffering because there's something wrong with me. I'm not suffering because there's something defective with me. I'm not suffering because... um, I necessarily deserve it when I suffer for Christ's sake. That I am suffering for His sake because He chose me. They hated Him. And He chose me. And I'm associated with Him now. So therefore, they're going to hate me. Don't be surprised when fiery trials come upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. But instead, rejoice in so far as you join with the sufferings of Jesus Christ. We, in our sufferings, we can rejoice because we can know that in our suffering, we are blessed. Luke 6, 22, Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. Rejoice, Jesus says. When that comes, when suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ comes, when they hate you, when they exclude you, when they revile you, when they spurn your name as evil because of Jesus Christ, jump for joy. Rejoice. Why? Because you know that your reward is great in heaven. This is exactly what Peter says. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. What is that? That is that there is a day coming when Christ is coming again. 
I know it feels like forever ago. It was only a few sentences ago. The end of all things is at hand. Christ is coming again. And when you suffer for Christ's sake, you can rejoice now because you know that when He comes, there will be greater rejoicing. You can have joy now in suffering because when He comes, you can know that you will have a fullness of joy. You see what he says there? Rejoice and be glad on that day. This is joy that on that day when Christ's return, your joy will be made complete. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.